1: Coming up this hour, grief and COVID. And later, the messages that the church sends women about their bodies. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on this Wednesday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson and I am normally alongside my guest co-host, Brian Fromm. Brian is out for the, d- the day and so I am joined by... Uh, she's a friend, she's a neighbor, She's an author, she's a speaker, she's a regular actually sub for Brian, and that is the wonderful Catherine McNeil. Catherine, thanks for being here with us today.
2: Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Aubrey. Hello, Radioland.
1: (laughs) I love that you're here today because, I mean, what our listeners may not know is that like Catherine is one of my besties. And so what we're doing is just inviting you into some of the conversations that Catherine and I have over lunch or over coffee and And so this is very fun. This feels like personal and very enjoyable for me.
2: Absolutely. I feel the same.
1: Good. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. And Catherine, we're, you know, we're talking about how jolly it is that we're together. We're actually going to start off the show by going to kind of a deep conversation. And I'll let you share as much or as little as you want. But you recently lost a loved one uh, to COVID. And I just thought we could kind of have a conversation about grief and heartache and I know it's a very recent loss for you so can you you know tell our listeners at least what you want to about what happened
2: Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. You know, I think a lot of us are in a similar situation. Very, very few of us have escaped the last two and a half years without significant losses um, of all kinds. But uh, it hit pretty close to home for my family about a week and a half ago. Um, a very close, very dear, beloved, precious loved one died very suddenly from COVID, mm. Um she was vaxxed and boosted but she had some underlying health issues that just could not stand up to such a deadly virus Mm. and uh, it it happened very suddenly and so we are reeling Um, we are all trying to kind of make sense of it and trying to figure out how to go forward uh, in the world without this person that has Mm. always been there that we love so dearly and uh, it was far far too soon for her so Mm. again I know so many of us are in the same spot, but yeah. I think because the crisis is ongoing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. COVID is still with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still, uh, I sent two of my kids back to school today because they've had COVID and they just tested negative this morning for Woo-hoo! the first time. So that's right. exciting. It's still here. It's not what it was a year or two years ago sure. before the vaccine, sure. but it's it's still Mm-hmm. impacting our daily lives and i mm-hmm. think when we're in the middle of a crisis it's hard to kind of take the time you need to say this has been devastating i have yeah. grief yeah. and we need to to find space for that grief yeah.
1: i katherine i thank you so much for sharing that and i'm so sorry for your loss i i you know you know that Kevin's mom died from COVID last October and it was a very similar situation where she was sick and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, she's not going to make it and then boom. And she also had underlying conditions. She was also vaxxed and boosted. But these... You know, these losses, I think, are so devastating. One, one because you're losing a loved one, period. It doesn't matter when it is or what it's from. Right, you're losing right. a loved one who should not have died and died. And that's just something really terrible and, and awful to grapple with. The other part to me that's been I, – I don't even know. It's been just an interesting thing to process is when your loved one becomes a statistic. Mm, like the fact mm-hmm. that like now, now in history – 30 years from now, 40 years from now, as our kids reflect on uh, this COVID pandemic, as our grandkids learn about COVID pandemic in school, we will say, yeah, we were there and we lost loved ones. And I'm not sure why that's hitting me hard, but it just feels like a bizarre, it feels like a bizarre moment in time, along with the pain. And I, I guess I'm just something you said, Catherine, about how we do need, we need to be able to create more space I think for people in church, in community, mm-hmm. in cities to mm-hmm. honor these very bizarre and very devastating losses. And I wonder why, especially for the Christian, why do you think that's so particularly important?
2: Oh wow. You know, I mean, partially it's just part of being human. Yeah, uh I think right. I think we're going to talk a little bit about Christian's views on bodies in a little bit and I think mm-hmm. I think the two are connected. Uh for some reason a lot of us feel really uncomfortable believing that our bodies are valuable or good, beautiful, wonderful, worth valuing, worth um worth having feelings about. And yeah. so um and we're uncomfortable with our feelings yes. often, too. Right, right. Um, so I think this uh, illness is just sort of a perfect storm for mm. a lot of the ways that we're unhealthy yeah. and and h- struggle to talk about how we feel mm. physically and emotionally. Mm. But I was thinking about, I was actually reading a novel that where it took place during one of the plagues, and I thought about how different the visual cues of grief are now when we are sick in our own homes and then we are sick or dying in the hospital versus most times in the past where it was taking place, you know, really in crowded villages and you would have to hang something on your door to say, don't come into this house. Or you would walk around, you'd walk around in black clothing for a year to say, I've lost someone. I'm in a period Mm -hmm. of grief. Whereas for us, three days later, we we want it to be invisible <laughs> right right and we're back to back to life back to normalcy yep i i think the lack of these visual cues that say i'm going through a period of grief and loss mm-hmm. right now I'm going through a period of need. These are mm. all things we have a hard time saying. And so yeah. we don't adopt any kind of outer yeah. symbol of them. But I think yeah. I think we're losing something.
1: You know, it's interesting you say that, Catherine, because yesterday I spoke at a theology conference on lament, or was training pastors and elders on like really how to help people lament. And one of the things that we talked about was how Um, You know, one of the one of the most horrible stories in scripture is the rape of David's daughter Tamar. Yes. By her brother. And what I talked about is how she ritualized her grief and her trauma by, you know, tearing the tearing her robe and pouring ashes on her Mm -hmm, head. And it's mm -hmm. that sort of concept that you're talking about. We don't have in Western contemporary America like uh, we don't have the T-shirt that says I'm in pain right now. I'm grieving right now. And yet we're also, we desperately need for people to know we're in pain because we have to like, I think we just need to honor and like name each other's pain in order to move through it and, and bring healing. And so I do wish, I think about the, there's this great picture of C.S. Lewis after his brother died and he's got that, you know, that black arm band
2: that men used to wear yes uh, in
1: military when they, uh, in the military, when they lost someone like that, some kind of concept like that, where we can just say. I'm hurting, can you see me? And then you see the other person's hurting as well. And somehow that shared grief brings, I think, healing and yes and, and something good in the midst of what's awful.
2: Yes, I think the shared grief is the key. Because yeah. if I were to suddenly don black clothing and wear it, to as a symbol of my loss, mm-hmm. I would feel like I was calling attention to myself. Right, right. But what you're I not would supposed act- to do that, right? right? No, you are not. <laughs> but what would actually be the result is that I would signal to you and to a thousand other people that I'm going through the same thing you're going through mm. and that we can join together and we're yeah. not alone
1: yeah oh it's good Catherine um Catherine with just a few few moments that we have left and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here in the midst of your own grief but sometimes I think that's when beauty comes out for our listeners right now who may be hurting because they've lost somebody or they're losing somebody or they're in just a season of grief and hardship do you have any words of encouragement I don't mean that to sound cheesy but just any words of hope or life that you could give them
2: I think I do. Uh, I just would love to say, listener, that God is here. God is here right now in the midst of darkness and grief. God is not waiting for you to feel happier to meet mm-hmm. with you or to be with you. Um, we believe in a God who came and took on flesh and took on suffering and pain That's right. um, in order to be with us, in order to show his love for us. So you don't have to put on your clean clothes and clean face to meet with God. God is right here in this dark, painful moment. Mm,
1: Thank you for that, Catherine. So, so beautiful. All right, Catherine, we're going to go to sort of a heavy topic for a Wednesday afternoon. And uh, I thought this would be a good conversation to have with you and not with Brian, because it's a conversation about women's bodies and the church. Oh, wow. Now, Now, you said something when we chatted earlier in the show about how in general the church finds it hard to sort of remember that we are people with bodies and that's good and that's okay Mm -hmm, like we mm -hmm. we really want to separate the spiritual from the physical quite often in a way that i don't think jesus did or calls us to
2: no but in
1: particular the topic of bodies when you're a woman is somewhat of a tricky thing in the church or has been in the past And there are layers of this, some of which we probably can talk about and some which, you know, we'll save for private conversation. But (laughs) generally, Catherine, I I wonder if you have thoughts on as a woman, how you have been made to feel about being a woman in a woman's body in
2: in evangelical
1: Christian culture.
2: Well, wow. I feel like this either needs to be a therapy session or right. a very long conference. <laughs> I know, we could have a
1: whole we could have a whole hours worth on this one.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm really struck by what you said that this is how we think, but this is not how Jesus is inviting us to think. And what strikes me is that it's not just Jesus. It's the entire biblical story. Right. right. Um. For some, somehow we, and I actually could go into how we got right. here, but I won't in the interest of time and uh, the lack of nerdiness that I'm trying to come across with right now. But um. The whole biblical story is of God creating a physical world, a physical creation and saying, I love this. I like yeah. this a lot. And we have somehow taken from that and associated very closely with Christianity and even the gospel, the idea that our bodies and the physical world are, if not bad, at least distracting and ultimately useless. Yeah, are like There's so many messages and idioms and choruses and songs and sermons about leaving this world behind, leaving our bodies behind, not getting distracted by them, keeping our eyes on this sort of spiritual thing that is better. But the biblical story says that God is working in our bodies mm. and um it's actually our bodies that are going to be resurrected and it's the physical world that's going to be made new. Yeah. And so I think that's where we go wrong to begin with. Yeah. But yes, women have it, have a complicated road. Um We have a man, complicated I don't, <laughs> road. I don't even know where to begin, Aubrey. Yeah.
1: I, I, here's what I would say. I would say, out, even just let's let's step outside of the church for a minute in general as a woman in my experience and i would say most of my friends sisters women i know's mm-hmm. experience there has been quite a bit of because women have been objectified for so long commodified for mm-hmm. so long
2: mm-hmm.
1: that one there's a pressure to uh be a certain body type, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And whatever that is in whatever society, whatever age uh, of history you're in, that body type may shift or change. We sort of know what the like ideal is in America in 2023, Mm -hmm. 2022. Um, If we don't meet up to that, then I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of shame that women can internalize, internalize. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's that. Then I think the problem has been in the church Part of this goes back to purity culture. Part of this goes back to um, sort of the the Billy Graham rule that I have been made to feel, intentionally or unintentionally, that simply because I'm a woman with a woman's body, I am uh, evil temptress. I am mm, – mm-hmm. and I, I'm speaking I like I as a woman. Um, yes. Uh, have I'm a seductress I simply like there are things about me I need to be ashamed I need to hide as a woman simply because I'm a woman in a woman's body
2: does that make sense oh absolutely and I I don't think think that's right (laughs) no oh no I think when we like you said for thousands of years we have looked at reality through a male perspective right? and not allowed women to share what it looks like from our side of things. Mm-hmm. And God made us with women's bodies. He said that was good. Yep. Um, God made men and women to be attracted to each other and create families and make children. And he said that was good. Yep. Um, there's a lot of ways that that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that women go through life and go to church in a woman's body is is good and if someone is struggling or having problems uh that's that's we can't blame the women for Yeah. yeah being the beautiful creatures we were made to be yeah
1: and and i and i i it's a thing to wrestle with and i feel like i'm so grateful for god's word and i'm so grateful to know what you just said that like God created uh, man and woman and said, you are very good. And so we Mm -hmm. know we don't need to apologize for being women created in the image of God. But for some reason, both, I would say outside the church and within the church, there have been a lot of ways that women have been made to feel like they need to apologize for simply being women. There was an article by uh, Nicole Morgan over at Relevant Magazine. She's the author of a book called Fat and Faithful. Learning to love our bodies, our neighbors, and ourselves. And she writes about Catherine something that's kind of interesting that for her, it wasn't so much some of these things we're talking about, but she heard from an early age from the pulpit that being fat was sinful. Mm. And because she, you know, grew up overweight, uh, she felt like her body was constantly being mocked. Mm. And She says the church taught her how to love her body or hate. Sorry. The church taught her how to hate her body. Um, And she says, uh, this is a quote from the article. She says, my heart breaks for my 18 year old self and for all who silently endure shame when fellow Christians speak and act in ignorance. My prayer is that I, as I speak up in situations, whether the bodies and lives being mocked are fat people, immigrants, people of color, women, persons mm. with disabilities, or any number of people who receive ridicule, I do believe that my coworkers would not have laughed if they had known the shame it brought. She's talking mm-hmm. about a situation where you know she was kind of publicly mocked. If they had heard someone they knew and trusted, Uh, who spoke up and offered correction. And here's the thing that I think is really interesting. She says, I believed that I was a fat person with a thin person inside trying to get out. And as a Christian, that meant she needed to discipline her body until it became godly and thin. Um, But ultimately, what she talks about is how, you know, as Christians, we've just scorned our bodies. But what we she talks about, what you and I have been talking about, that God is not ashamed of our bodies.
2: Yeah. Uh, Don't you think that's so interesting? Uh, Yes, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And it just strikes me again, how readily we turn to judgment Mm. rather than loving and caring for each other rather Mm. than serving each other. Um, What is it that? what are our own insecurities, our own fears that are motivating us to shame others? Um, because Jesus is here to meet us in that place of brokenness mm. and bring healing to us so that we can avoid destroying others. I think we need that so badly.
1: Yeah, we need that so badly. And sometimes it's just having conversations like these that at least help kind of move the move the ball forward and bring some of the change that we long to see in the church. Catherine, thanks for going there with me. I know that was kind Ooh, of a tricky one.
0: That was it, something. This
1: is so fun for me because right now I am joined, first of all, by my special co-host, Catherine McNeil. But then I'm also joined by a friend who is a special guest, Cassandra Brown. Cassandra Brown is a wife, a mom, a nurse, and a community leader. She works serving the Appalachian population in Ohio as a nurse. She's also helping to rebuild her city, which was devastated through poverty and the opioid crisis. Cassandra, thanks so much for being here with us today.
3: Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Um, For our listeners who may not be familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and your work
3: there in Ohio? Yeah, so I live in Euricksville, Ohio. Uh, Hick is in the name is what we jokingly say. <laughs> um, and I've been a nurse for 15 years, and I service as a home care nurse. So I actually drive throughout my community um, and service wow. rural Appalachian populations. Um, and then, so that's my daytime job. And then being a mom and a wife and everything with teenagers. And then I am super passionate about my community. And so I do a nonprofit called On Purpose Ministries, and we just launched a new thing called Grit and Glitz uh, during the pandemic, actually, Um, and we are just changing our community for the better and just seeing God just restore and redeem um, what has happened here.
2: Mm. Cassandra, I'd love to hear more about Grit and Glitz Ministry. That's quite a name. Can you tell me a bit more about what you do?
3: Yeah, so I... um, was in uh, graduate school with Aubrey, but in Christian event, like Christian circles of women's ministry, it was very glitzy. Um, and so you would talk to people and they'd be like, yes, I'm so successful. I'm this and that. And then when you get to know them, you're like, oh, you struggle with anxiety just like me. Oh, you, you, you did a lot of extra work. And so before grit and glitz ever came about, I said, I'm going to do something and we're going to call it grit and glitz. And we're going to focus more on the grit that it took to make this happen. So Fast forward 2020, um, our community was very polarized in um, opinions on vaccines and I mean, just everything. Everything was mm-hmm. polarized in 2020. Yeah. Um, yeah. And women were not connecting. And so we just decided to have some farm dinners. It happened organically. My friend was like, I hate women. And I'm like, I think you're hanging <laughs> out with the wrong ones. Because um, I've been there and I was the same way. And I said, What if we just invite a bunch of entrepreneurial women that are doing cool stuff in the community? And um we just get them together. And so that's actually how Grit and Glitz started. Then in twenty twenty one, um I started doing leadership classes. I'm like we just we need to elevate the knowledge of women in this community. They just need to yes. know they're doing all the work, but they're not being elevated in their stories, they're not being elevated in their knowledge. And so we we jokingly said we tricked them into leadership. Um, wow, wow! So we did—that's <laughs> amazing. We did fun events on the farm. Um, we did leadership classes in 2021. We did our farm dinners, um, and then we started doing what was called Women Crush Wednesday. And every single Wednesday, I do a Facebook Live, mm. and I talk about a different woman in the community, and I help them tell their stories. So mm. there are all these mm. amazing women here in Tuscarawas County, Christian, non-Christian. Um, it's, it's very much a outreach type environment and, you know, we just, we love women and we encourage and we empower them. And we've just created a network that they share each other's stuff. Mm. They found community, they found connection. The joke has been you pay for friends here. They're much better than the ones you get for free. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) So it's just watching and then how that's just moved. So Southern Tuscarawas County has just been devastated. Um, It's very poor, very scarcity mindset. And so we started in one small town, really focusing in on those businesses this year. We're in my town, which I'm so excited about, Mm -hmm. which is your And it's the, it's been hit the hardest in Tuscarawas County with the drug overdoses, the poverty levels. I live here. I've lived here all my life other than Mm -hmm. two years. So like, I, 2015, God really just placed it on my heart to seek the welfare of the city where he sent me. Mm. So mm. this all has been building to this moment. We're mm. actually launching mm. next week, a small or a wow. downtown business association. Um, cool. So just taking, I mean, it's just literally grit and glitz help to just roll the ball. Yeah. Um, the yeah. mayor of the of the city has given me full permission to do whatever we need to do in this, in the city. Um, We're just watching things happen. We're getting um, festivals in the town, like we're getting Mm -hmm. celebrations. And so Grit and Glitz has helped to offer hope to women, which then have helped to offer hope to communities. Oh, that's fantastic,
1: Cassandra. You know, and I'm just thinking about our listeners who are hearing you like have a very specific passion for your town. And God called you to work to rebuild the city Why do you think that matters as a Christian? Because you could easily just go about your business, be a nurse, go to church Sunday mornings, and not really be invested. So give us a big picture
3: about, like, why should this kind of work matter for the Christian? So that's a great question. Um, So in class, first century church, how they grew into being the largest um, through first and third century was really by going into the cities and doing gifts of mercy. So taking care of patients during... Um, times of sickness when everybody would leave they would stay um, taking care of the cities that were just demolished and then a hundred years later those cities are flourishing and thriving for the gospel yeah. so like this is yeah. not a brand new thing this is something we've seen in church for a long time and knowing what season we're in and where we're geographically located seeking the welfare of our city means that we are going into areas it's a form of evangelism it's a yeah. form of restoration yeah. mm-hmm. Um, When I started, I thought I'm not smart enough. Um, I don't have the background or the clout. And now that I'm sitting in these rooms, I'm like, oh, they need what Jesus has taught me about what it means to be a leader and how to empower and, you know, how building a wall like from Nehemiah. And so Mm -hmm. I'm having conversations Uh with unchurched people. And I'm like, yeah, in the Bible, there's a book of Nehemiah. And this is this is what we're going to adopt for this Mm. strategy. And so it's just open doors for conversations. I'm not sitting here saying this is what I'm against as a Christian. I'm saying, Mm -hmm. let me be for you. Let me be for, I don't care if you ever come to church. God loves me and his grace is enough to outpour to my community, to outpour to love. I'm not holding it restrictive whether or not you become a Christian. I don't care. And I think for this generation and where we are, that needs to be the anthem of the church. Yes. Good, Cassie.
2: Cassandra, that's so exciting. I love hearing about where Christians are being the body of Christ in the world, the hands and feet, Uh, like you said, building, creating, healing, uh, not trying to just manipulate people, but uh, really going out like Jesus did and as Jesus sent us to do. So can you tell me, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's getting excited, can you tell me where we can connect more with your ministry, more with you, how we can find you online? How we could even contribute in some way?
3: Yeah, so um, if you want to go to, on Facebook, we have Grit and Glitz. It's the and sign. Um, And you can like our Facebook page and get more information that way. Um, And then on Instagram, it's Grit and Glitz too. Um, so you can find us on both of those. We're currently working on a website because like this happened. So Hmm. it was such a need. It happened so quick. It was like, there was nothing. And now all of a sudden there's this community of women. So, um, and I mean, it's fun because it, it terrifies people that are just about themselves. So, I mean, if they want to connect, please feel free to connect with us on social media. Um, and then we can reach out to you that way. That's, that's probably the best way to connect. Perfect. Perfect.
1: I love that. That's wonderful. Cassandra Brown is a wife, mom, nurse, and community leader. She works serving the Appalachian population 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 in Ohio as a nurse and and is helping to rebuild her city, which was devastated devastated through through poverty and the opioid crisis. And she's doing it through empowering women, which I love. All right.
3: Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Good to meet you, Cassandra. I mean, I love Brian. But I secretly love when Brian's gone because then I get to bring in like my people, like my husband Kevin, or like one of my BFFs, Catherine McNeil. And so, Catherine, thanks for uh, filling in Brian's chair this afternoon. I absolutely love doing it.
2: Good. Thanks for I- having me.
1: I'm so glad that you're here. Well, Catherine, we're gonna we're gonna kind of switch uh chairs here for you a minute. Right now you're my co-host, but I'm gonna make you my I'm gonna make you my guest that I'm interviewing oh, because cool. uh what our people may or may not know about you is you are also also a three time author. You're a freelance editor. You're a writer. You're a speaker. You're all of these other fabulous things. You're a mom. You're a neighbor. You're a friend. But because you're a professional author, I thought we needed to have a conversation about your latest book that came out. Was it February, Catherine?
2: It was, you know, time has no meaning during this. Yeah. (laughs) This year it it seems no meaning. uh, Yes, it was February 8th. Wow.
1: Okay, February 8th. So tell the people the title
2: of your book and what it's about. This book, my third book, is called Fearing Bravely, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. And unlike some books, I think that title pretty much says it all. I'm taking a look at Jesus' invitation to his followers, which includes many of us, if we Mm -hmm. have chosen to become Christians and Christ followers. Um, Jesus was pretty clear that... Even though the world is dangerous and there's a lot of things to be afraid of, that we must find a way through the power of the Holy Spirit, through keeping our eyes on Jesus, to live out of a posture of love. First, for our neighbors. Uh, That's pretty clear. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. That's the most important thing. But when people started kind of arguing with him, looking for a loophole, Jesus did the opposite of giving a loophole. He expanded his definition of neighbor to include strangers, Um, Anyone who is in need, especially if they're a foreigner, an immigrant, a traveler, a migrant, especially those kind of people, we should care for sacrificially as though they were our own family members, Hmm. which is a major brain shift. Um, And then when Jesus was questioned a little bit more, you know, that doesn't sound like a great idea for my family and I. He pushed it even further and said, You've heard it said, love your neighbor. I'm saying to you, even love your enemy. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> Jesus really dropped the mic yeah. uh, in some of his teaching. And I think we've, we've really conveniently sort of left that behind. Mm. Um, we love to talk about how God doesn't need or want anything from us because we're loved. No matter what, God's yeah. grace covers everything. And of course, all that's true. But, you know, I love my kids no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, they're part of my family, no matter what, and I'm mm-hmm. still gonna make them unload the dishwasher. Right? I, I, I just am. So, yeah. I talk a lot about how those things those things fit together. We are loved with an everlasting love, and we are accepted permanently and eternally by grace. And God has a lot of love work for us to do mm-hmm. in the right now. So oh. that's a bit. That's a bit about what it's what I'm talking about here.
1: I actually really appreciate that message, Catherine, because I, you know, so much of the Christian faith is paradox. And so, both is true. Like, you are accepted, you are loved, you can just rest and not have to strive and hustle and know you're approved of in Jesus Christ. But I think so many of our messages do stop there and don't say, okay, but now because of that, we are constrained, compelled called to live a way of life that jesus modeled for us commanded for us and empowers us by his holy spirit to live it's like we like we truncate the message i think of the gospel love god love your neighbor we stop at love god or be loved by god and we don't move to love your neighbor and i'm not saying i i've got this in tow and i can you know i'm living the best life i'm just saying i think. A lot of our modern contemporary messaging, even I'm thinking on social media from Christian mm-hmm. authors, mm-hmm. says the first, but not the second. And I, I wonder if in your in your research um, or in your writing or just even your experiences like a human being on this planet, why <laughs> do you think it is – because it was a challenging message when Jesus said it thousands of years yes, ago. It's it a was. painfully challenging message now in our divisive culture – why is it so hard to get that love your neighbor part? You know,
2: I think it's because we're afraid. Mm. Uh, you know, if you look at that, which is, of course, what I'm digging into in the book, fearing yeah. bravely, yeah. Um, I think we're afraid of two things. You know, the command is love God and love your neighbor. I think we're afraid of God, and I think we're afraid of our neighbor. Wow. We're afraid that God is an abusive parent. Um, and to be honest, a lot of the way we talk about God, a lot of our theology, it is, it absolutely is making God out to be an abusive parent wow. who is maybe not going to be speaking to us for a while and not tell us why we're never going to know or mm. is going to maybe flare up in rage and punish us. Um, God's not an abusive parent. We yeah. are loved yeah. with an everlasting love. amen. But then I think we're also, because we're loved, we can take a risk. We can step out and try To follow Jesus' teaching and commands because we're not afraid of failing, because we know we'll be loved whether we succeed or fail. Um, But I think we're also afraid of our neighbors and strangers and enemies. If you listen, Aubrey, to the way we Americans, especially I'm afraid Christian Americans, talk about our fellow man, whether they're... Whether they're neighbors, like people in our own community, or strangers, like immigrants or refugees or migrants or enemies, mm-hmm. um, we, we sound very, very afraid and yeah. very dehumanizing. Yeah, we do. Um, so I think we don't have a lot of incentive mm-hmm. to put our neck out, put our family out there and, and follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't say it was going to be safe. But he did say it was the way to follow him, the way to love God. I Mm. think we need to change the conversation and really take a look at why we feel so comfortable taking Jesus' name, putting it on everything, putting a cross around our necks, but not actually have a conversation every day. With people we trust, people who know us well, like, why am I living out of fear regarding mm. these these people in my world? Why am I not actively loving them? Because the word that Jesus uses for love is an active love. Wow. It's not just, it's not just you and me going to lunch, Aubrey, and being like, I love the strangers in my community. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's dropping off groceries. It's taking care of their kids. Yeah. It's, uh, whatever it is. We all have different gifts, we all have different mm-hmm. capabilities. Some of us have almost no time, some of us have almost no energy. Mm-hmm. But if we as a body of Christ work together, we could change the world like Jesus asked us to. Mm. So good, Catherine.
1: Uh what's one very practical step for someone who is hearing you talk about this and they're like, Oh, I do need to change. I, I am fear is getting the better of me, keeping me from loving neighbors, strangers, and enemies, like what's one initial step that person can take to move just even incrementally forward in this, uh, away from fear towards love?
2: Well, I'm actually going to give you two. I know this is the second time I've, you've asked for one and I've given you two, but (laughs) I think the first is internal. I think spend five minutes, 15 minutes, whatever time you have today, um, going for a walk, sitting in a quiet space and being honest with God about your fear, being honest with God about the difficulty that you have receiving love, giving love, because we all do. It's Mm -hmm. just the truth. We don't need to hide it. And then the external thing that I would recommend is grab a buddy and say, you know what, would you meet me for coffee? I want to talk about how we can actually be Christians in our community, how Mm -hmm. we can actually be Christians in the world. We can't do it ourselves, but you know, Aubrey, if you and I brainstormed, I think we could find somebody who needed some love, or you could at least hold me accountable to watch how I talk. If I'm starting to demonize a group of people in our society, you could say, you know what, Catherine, are you loving those people? Are you Hmm. praying for them? Hmm. And then that's going to get me.
1: Oh, so good, Catherine. Catherine, where can people find your book, Fearing Bravely?
2: Well, Fearing Bravely is available wherever books are sold. Uh, You can look it up on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, your local bookstore. Uh, My website is com, and my social media handles are McNeil. if you spell my name right, and you'll be able to figure out where to find my books from there as well. And that is McNeil M-C-N-I-E-L.
1: Start with that I, and you will uh, find Catherine. Catherine, thanks so much for talking to us about your work. I love everything you're putting out into the world right now. I'm really grateful for you. Brian is out today, and so like I said, I am joined by a friend, an author... A neighbor, a general, all around great woman, Catherine McNeil, <laughs> and uh, well, uh, Catherine, we're like almost done with today's show, but I love that you've been here. I can't it's believe felt it, so seamless. So, move over, Brian. Catherine <laughs> McNeil is in the house. That's um, right, Brian.
2: Catherine, I'm you coming have for a, you.
1: You have a degree in counseling. You're getting your MDiv. It is Mental I Health do. Awareness Month. And I thought we would have a conversation about the value of therapy, but I also wanted to talk a little bit about when the church tries to do more than they should when it, yeah, uh, it, it, in regards to therapy. So let's let's start here with the value of therapy. Okay, uh, I uh, I have been a proponent of therapy. I've been in therapy. Uh, On and off since college. I am a huge fan of going to a therapist. I have many friends who are uh, psychologists and psychiatrists. I think God has given us therapists for healing and help. A lot of people don't think that. It's still very controversial, although I do think the tide is changing as the conversation changes. But with so much, you know, with so much anxiety and depression and the suicide rate skyrocketing. And our children, you know, being so stressed out after COVID and in so much trauma after COVID, more than ever, like now is the time to get you to a therapist if you need one.
2: Uh, tell me from your counselor's perspective, the value of therapy. <laughs> oh, well, I couldn't agree more. I've actually never been a practicing counselor therapist, but I do have a, a master's degree in counseling and I've done quite a lot of it on the side. And I've definitely attended quite a lot of therapy and counseling mm. and I think the message that we've given to people is you only go to counseling or therapy if you have failed, and it's your last possible ditch effort. Mm. But I look at it more like, you know, none of us have lived before. This is our first time around. Um, you've probably never been married before, never had kids before, never had teenagers before, never had college students before, never lost your mom before, never gotten divorced before, never lost your job before, never gone through a pandemic before. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is that you're going through, you've probably not done anything like it before. Yeah. And you need help. We need someone to teach us, someone who has studied how to get through these things with harming yourself as little as possible, harming Mm -hmm. others as little as possible, helping others as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And that resource is available and frequently covered by our insurance.
1: Yes. Um,
2: why wouldn't we want a helper? Um yeah. a coach, someone yeah. who can help us to be as healthy as we can be. Yep. Yeah.
1: Oh it's such a good word,
2: Catherine. By the way, if your insurance doesn't
1: cover therapy, apparently right now uh Justin Bieber, the Biebs, is paying oh. like uh has given several millions of dollars towards online therapy i think if you follow him on social media you can find more information about but free therapy from i mean he won't be your therapist but he's (laughs) providing therapy for people in pain for free so you can find all that resource if you follow him online but Catherine, um a guy named derek webb uh yeah said something on twitter derek is a musician and christianity in the evangelical world and and
2: what else does derek webb do do you know well, Derek Webb was one of the founding members of Cademan's Call. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and he's not now. <laughs> but Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So
1: yeah. he's, he said something interesting about the church and therapy, and I want us to unpack this. He said this, pastoral care and therapy are two remotely different things. Hmm. If you go to a church that believes they are interchangeable, I would invite you to run. Why do you think he said that? Like, what do you think he's getting at?
2: Well, that's a pretty provocative statement. I don't know that I would have said it quite like that. But I think what he's getting at is that, you know, in the ancient world, if I had cancer without science available, you would probably have thought that a god was upset with me and it was Mm -hmm. a spiritual problem. Right. Um, More recently, we have realized that cancer is cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, that we definitely need to be in prayer and, uh, and taking care of the spiritual needs that are a component of cancer, but also yes. going to an oncologist and yes. getting surgery and getting yes. treatment. Um, mental health, I think, is the last barrier for us to accept that about. Mm. Um, we still look at mental health and think, well, this is a spiritual problem. Of course, it does have a spiritual component. Yeah. And we do need our church body, our pastors, to be caring for that component mm-hmm. of our mental health. But we also need to go to a medical expert that can help us with that. So unless you would go exclusively to your pastor for your broken leg or your rheumatoid arthritis... <laughs> um, <laughs> Please go to your pastor for your mental health needs and ask them to refer you to a trusted and excellent mental health therapist. Yeah. Oh, I wish we could like put that on repeat,
1: Catherine. That's a a great, great uh, summation. Okay. So for the, for the, we have a lot of pastors that listen, a lot of uh, ministry leaders that listen. When do you think they're sort of uh, fudging that line a little bit? Because there is a role of pastoral care. And I think you're exactly right. Like you you should be able to be in a church community where you can go to your pastor, pastors, and get pastoral care, period. I mean, if you're at a church where you can't be ministered to by your pastors, then maybe that's a reason to begin looking at another church.
2: Absolutely.
1: But when does it cross the line for like our, our practitioners out there? Like, is there a moment when they should say, oh, this is out of my purview. I need to send this person on to a therapist.
2: Well, I think any time that we're dealing, to be honest, Aubrey, I don't want to go cross my lines either. Yeah. I, I do have um, a master's degree in counseling. Like we said, I'm pursuing an MDiv. So obviously, I very highly value both both muscles. Yeah. And I do yeah. think it needs to be the one-two punch. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we need we need the spiritual care and we need the mental health That's experts, right. just like we need our primary care doctor. Um, I think anytime that we're looking at a true mental illness like depression or anxiety, uh, we need to have a set of medical experts involved to see if there is a chemical issue mm-hmm. that needs to be solved, um, physically, biologically. Um, I think anytime there's abuse or yeah. even, even emotional abuse, we need to have, uh, professional therapists that are trained specifically in knowing those patterns While also meeting with our pastors for the spiritual care that we need. And, you know, my husband is a social worker, so he has a whole list of people experts that he trusts, that he Mm -hmm. can refer the people who come to him to, And he knows that's, he's not saying, i failed, you shouldn't have come to me. He's saying, because you have come to me and trusted me, I will help you find the team of people that can help you get through this situation. And I'm going to be with you the whole time. Not going to go into all those appointments, but but I'll be for you. I'll be with you. I'll be taking your calls. I'll be meeting with you. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's, we need a more collaborative approach. Yeah, that's good. Sometimes I think the
1: church needs to almost see itself more as like the triage place. Like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna, I I, I want to meet with you and I want to hear your burdens and I want to carry those with you. I'm going to pray for you, but I'm also going to go, Oh, Okay. You, we're going to call it, like you were just saying, we're going to call that doctor together. We're going to call that trusted therapist together. We're going to call that uh, social worker together mm-hmm. and get the help that you need because the church can be something and is something important, but the church cannot be all things to all people in all of no. those fears. Like you're saying Absolutely. that the the. Cancer patient needs the oncologist mm-hmm. and needs the care of the church, and so I, I think that's a it's a good perspective uh, for all of us to have, especially post COVID. Like it is mm. okay to need help from a therapist, and it is okay to go to your pastor and ask uh, for them to recommend
0: someone for you as well. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some
1: good news. It is the end of the show. At the end of every show, we love to bring you something challenging or inspiring or something to put a smile on your face. And uh, we've been going to this place called TheWeek.com where they put together good news for the week. And basically they call it, it wasn't all bad because there's so much (laughs) terrible, horrific news in the world right now. We don't want to ignore that. We don't want to pretend like it's not happening. But every once in a while, we didn't need just like a palate cleanser of some good positive, encouraging news.
2: So Catherine,
1: why don't you share uh, the first good news
2: story? Okay, well this one is for the nature lovers out there which I myself am. You are one. Yes. uh, I don't know if anyone's been to the Redwood National Park in Northern California but it has been 130 years since California condors, which is a kind of bird that is native to that area. 130 years since they we've been able to find any in the wow. wild. Wow. But if, but four birds that were bred in captivity have been released. Two of them I believe were released. Amazing. And they are they're out back in the wild. Wow,
1: that's so yeah. cool.
2: Way to go California. Good job. Absolutely. Bringing a little bit of healing like we were talking about earlier. Love that. Okay, the next story.
1: We've actually shared this story I think last week on the Common Good, but I have to share it again cuz it is so wild. Okay, a DoorDash driver saved a customer's life during a pizza delivery. So let me uh, let me share this with you, Catherine. In an instant, Sophia Furtado went from delivering a pizza to saving a life. This was a month ago, February eleventh. Karen uh, Hebert Sullivan ordered a late night pizza, waited for the delivery outside of her home in Massachusetts. She had previously injured her knee, and as she stood outside, she felt it give out on her. She dropped to the ground, but she hit her head when she dropped to the ground. So, this DoorDash driver, Sophia Furtado, pulled up, saw that Sullivan was unresponsive and bleeding. She apparently was trained previously as a medical technician, so that training kicked in. What? She yelled for help. Sullivan's husband, who was asleep inside, heard her. He called 911. Furtado stabilized Sullivan's neck to protect her spine. She did not move until the medics arrived. Sullivan ended up being hospitalized for three weeks, and while she's still recovering, was on hand to see Furtado receive a life-saving award from the police department and a one thousand dollar educational grant from DoorDash. Sullivan what told C- I know is that crazy. Sullivan told CNN she's so thankful for Furtado, her life-saving skills, their new friendship, and added, "She is my guardian angel." Can you imagine?
2: That actually blows my mind. I, know. I can't, I can't imagine saving someone's life over the course of my day at all. But definitely not when I thought I was just delivering a delivering pizza. a pizza. Absolutely not. I love the just the conversion of of goodness there too. That this woman
1: actually was trained, and so she knew what to do. I think I would be like, I don't know what to do here. So this is uh, this is very. That's a great story.
2: That is incredible. Well, I have another one for you. Okay, let's hear um, it. There is a 46-year-old woman who, you know, some of us are in our mid-40s. So we can yep. relate to that. Yeah, she She's an amputee. Her, leg is, uh, her left leg is off just below the knee. Okay. But she decided she wanted to run a marathon. Come on. Aubrey, I don't know how many marathons you've run, but she <laughs> decided she wanted to run not just one, but 104 marathons. What? And not only that... She wanted to run 104 marathons in 104 days. Wait, pardon me. Consecutive days? I yes. I mean that makes sense. What in the world? (laughs) Jackie Hunt Broersman. I'm probably not saying it correctly. Sure. Spent 104 consecutive days making sure she ran 26.2 miles before the sun went down. What in the world? The 46-year-old set the goal of running 104 marathons in 104 days, not only to break an unofficial women's world record, but also to show the power of perseverance. Wow. She had previously been diagnosed with a rare cancer, and that's how she lost her leg. And she did it. Okay. That is incredible.
1: Uh, She also raised $27,000 to help other amputee blade runners purchase expensive prosthesis or prosthesis. So that's pretty cool. That is Uh, that that blows my mind. Yeah, especially because like you were saying before, I've run zero marathons in my life.
2: Well, and and not only that, (laughs) I I couldn't I couldn't run around the block for 104 (laughs) consecutive (laughs) days. I'm quite sure.
1: (laughs) Wow. She makes me feel like a lazy person. But way to go. (laughs) That is an incredible story. Okay, here's a fun one a couple on their way to Las Vegas to get married end up tying the knot over Arizona. What? So, uh, yeah, apparently they met the officiant an hour earlier. Their guests were strangers, and the ceremony could have been derailed by a fastened seatbelt announcement, but Jeremy Salda and Pam Patterson wouldn't have changed a thing about their wedding on board a Southwest Airlines flight to Vegas. Oh, my goodness. The plan was for Salda and Patterson to fly from Oklahoma to Vegas on April 24th to get married, but after landing at the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport dressed in their wedding attire because they were on a test schedule (laughs) once they made it to Vegas, their connection was delayed and then canceled. But they met an ordained minister also going to Vegas. The plan was hatched. The trio would book a Southwest flight out of Dallas Love Field, and if Patterson and Salda didn't make it in time to their pre-planned ceremony, the minister would marry them. Once the Southwest crew heard what was happening, plans went into motion to hold the wedding on the plane. As soon as it reached cruising altitude, the ceremony started somewhere in Arizona with Patterson telling Salda she'd be
2: his co-pilot for life. Okay, that is officially amazing. <laughs> that is awesome. I love that story. I'm going to have to look that up. I need pictures. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. <laughs> All right, I've got another one for okay, you. I know you You and I both have high schoolers, and we know that test taking and college applications are just around the corner. Woo, yep. There is a Florida high schooler who has been accepted into 72 what? colleges. Stop. She decided that she wanted to uh, turn this stressful process of applying and figuring out the rest of your life into a game. Mm-mm. And uh, she decided to make a competition with herself to see how many colleges and universities she could apply to and get accepted into. Come on. Uh, she, she used it as a way to broaden her horizons and kind of think outside the box a little bit. Wow. Um, she's decided to attend Xavier University in Louisiana but she has plenty of options if she changes her mind
1: unbelievable okay can Catherine, you believe that will our high schoolers even do like four applications
2: I <laughs> hope they don't do 72 because that sounds like a lot of work to me. that sounds like that sounds like a lot of that sounds like a lot of work wow that is a
1: that is a go-getter well congratulations I, I think she's going to do well. I think she will survive college and probably become a president of the United States one day. So anyway, those are some good stories for you this week. It wasn't all bad. Uh, Catherine, thanks so much for joining us today. I've loved having you. I always love being here, Aubrey. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today as well. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Catherine McNeil, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.